try to remember the kind of September when life was slow and oh so mellow. Try to remember the kind of September when grass was green and grain was yellow. To remember the kind of September when you were a tender and callow fellow. Try to remember, and if you remember, then follow. Hello, and welcome to Broadway Videos this week on Broadway for Sunday, November 1st, 2020. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Encore Magazine, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastDumbReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So both of you, we have uh, fallen back and gotten an extra hour of sleep this morning. Hit the spot. <laughs> it's yeah. just exactly what the doctor ordered. And mm-hmm. uh, this week is our election on Tuesday. So um, we'll try to come back next uh, Sunday, but who knows what's going to happen on Tuesday. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but more importantly, mm-hmm. it is a half-price candy day, as Rob Johnson has pointed out. Oh, so yeah. uh, <laughs> so we got to get to the Dwayne Reeds and get all the extra candy that's available. Mm-hmm. Uh did you guys uh, sit at home and uh, wait for trick-or-treaters that never came and, and eat all the candy? <laughs> that happened to be the first year I moved to New York. I assumed kids would come to my door. Nobody came, and I had a wonderful time eating all the candy. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, how are uh, things over at Manhattan Plaza? Did they have anything happening in the lobby there? That's a good they point. Did, they did a wonderful little event in the plaza for, for the kids. I was so happy to see that because I don't, I don't think there was – much or any actual traditional trick or treating, but they yeah. did have a wonderful mm. event with you know with creatures and costumes and things. So that was wonderful. With us today, we have a very special guest. Sandy Duncan is joining us. Broadway fans will know Sandy from Peter Pan, and TV fans mm-hmm. will know Sandy from the Hogan family. She has three Tony nominations. So Sandy, thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love to talk about myself. Who does it? <laughs> well, that's that's a good fit because we're here to talk about you today. And I, I really wanted to find out how a girl from Henderson, Texas, ended up uh, ended up, you know, all the way in New York on a on a Broadway stage. I like a lot of uh, people that get into show business. I started dancing when I was five years old. My mom took me to a tap ballet and acrobatic school in Texas. And uh, there was this real tall uh, woman from New York who had been in a ballet company who had married a guy in the army and moved down to this little bitty town because he was going to open a business there. And she opened this dance school. And she taught me, Tommy Toon, um, let's see, who else, George Boyd, all kinds of people. And she created this little niche 
of performers in this little town. So I started when I was five, got my first job professionally when I was 12 years old in Dallas at the Dallas Summer Musicals. I worked there for five summers and then got a show from there to go on tour in the Music Man. And then (laughs) they brought Music Man into New York City Center and I moved to New York. So it was kind of one thing after the other, which is good because I don't know how to audition. I stink. <laughs> so stink at auditioning. And uh, that I had a job. I was able to support myself pretty much from the beginning of my career. And I am so grateful for that because I don't think I could have done it otherwise. I don't have the, the schmooze thing and I don't have the, and mm. uh, I don't have the audition skills. I don't have the uh, aggressive kind of behavior you need to be in the business. So I lucked out. Sandy, I interviewed you when you did um, Chicago on Broadway, and you mentioned that you worked with Anna White in that Music Man at City Center, and then yeah. you worked with with Agnes DeMille. And you told this incredible story about how you were auditioning for Louise uh, in in. In carousel, <laughs> and, she, and she said, "All right, I'm giving you the part, but you've got to take off ten pounds of that lard." <laughs> That's exactly the quote. That's exactly. And I'd been auditioning for a week because with. Uh, Agnes DeMille, that's what you did. You have to pretty much learn <laughs> bulk of the ballet. So it got down to these two bunheads and me. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to get this. And I had the flu that day, I remember. And I let, they said, thank you. Very good audition. Thank you very much. And I went back to a place I was living called the Rehearsal Club. Oh, which gosh. Was, yeah, you know that from Ethan yes. Stage Door, that movie. And it was um, a residence for girls, for people who don't know. And you paid $32 a week for a room on 53rd between 6th and 5th. And you got three meals a day. I mean, it was wow. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I went back over and I was bald at the time. My hair had fallen out in college because I put purple stuff on it to make it like an old lady. Mm. And when I went to have the purple stuff taken off and it put back to its natural hair color blonde, uh, the purple stuff melted the hair shaft, fell off in the bow. So I had to wear these wiglets, you know, like hair falls. Um, And luckily there was enough hair on my head growing around kind of like a monk's hair, you know, it's all around the edge. Uh (laughs) I pull it all up on the top of my head and pin it and put this fall on. So it looked like I had hair. So I'm in this rehearsal club bed and I went, I'm really sick. She already eliminated me. I can't come back. And the sister choreographer said, get your wig on and get back here. (laughs) So I did. And I did the ballet again for Agnes. And that's when she did the quote you just gave about take 10 pounds (laughs) off that lard. (laughs) I've never been. Oh, my favorite story involves Philip Burton. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Philip Burton. He was, um, was he really uh, his father, Richard Burton's father? Oh, was he a foster father or an adopted father? I never got that straight, but he was the father. And he came to the show mm-hmm. uh, with Agnes DeMille on opening night. And it was a big success. And I was beside myself. You know, I was like, oh, receiving people. And, and it was a big applause, all that. So he comes backstage and Agnes comes in with him and goes, well, darling, you, you gave a lovely performance. Of course, you don't jump as high as Bambi Lynn. <laughs> and <laughs> Philip Burton goes, yes, Agnes, but you see, Sandy knows why she's jumping. 
That wow. is the best a compliment you could give anybody. So That's I, I great. appreciated it my whole life. I've told that story dozens upon dozens of times. It's one of my all-time favorites. And um, I think it really does say a lot. And it's good advice to uh, people who are in shows uh, to know why you're jumping. Yes, indeed. Well, that's what that's what Jack Lee used to teach. If You know, you were saying that you took his classes. He used to teach people what they were saying and why they were mm-hmm. singing it. Because otherwise, it's just a bunch of tones strung together, albeit beautiful tones in many mm-hmm. cases. They're mm-hmm. not communicating a story so that was his his premise is to do anything that way from the heart and from an acting point of view sandy were you by any chance at the rehearsal club at the same time as carol burnett or were you later well i'm just a little bit younger than she is (laughs) not much but no she don don would hang up just hang up on you It was somebody, I'll tell you in a sec, but I was, there was somebody I was sitting at dinner with recently, and it was, I think, my birthday, and I was 74, my last birthday, and I, and he knew that it was his birthday party, and somebody came up, an actress who should remain nameless, and she was saying, oh my God, it's your birthday, oh, how great, oh, blah, blah, blah. and then she left, and my friend said, well, what? You look 10 years younger than she is. Uh, I said, I am 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was living there when, let's see, um, Blythe Danner, uh, Mm. Diane Keaton. Wow. Uh, Cynthia Gregory, uh, mm-hmm. ballet, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. So there were there was an opera singer there. I forget her name. But there were people from all areas of the business living there. Yeah, but you're right. Carol Burnett was one of the famous people that lived there. Right, right. She always talks about it. And yes, I should have realized. I guess I was about 10 years previous. Yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should uh, mention that your husband, Don, is in the background. That's who we were referring to. So the people are like, who is that other voice? <laughs> so, uh, okay. uh, so Dallas Summer Musicals, you uh, started there when you were about 12 years old. And then, as uh, you mentioned, uh, Jack Lee was the conductor down there. And uh, Jack continued to be uh, somebody who conducted many musicals through your life. Can you, uh, you can't because you go on, you can't use expletives on your show, can you? You can, you can, well, absolutely. Yeah, you'd be singing something and uh, but will bear witness, and you'd be singing along thinking, good. he says, he'd bang on the piano, he'd go, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> he did that very often when I sang. <laughs> what uh, did- was that? <laughs> he used to do these all-day presentations, um, a culmination of his class. Were you in those? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh-huh. that's the one that I did with Sandy. We did one of those uh, back in oh, it was like 97, 98 or something. Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. And those some, were amazing things. Some fella did a, a scene with me. It wasn't you, I hope. No, we were doing a scene together. <laughs> you have to get together and rehearse. And I I was supposed to be very aggressive with him as a female toward a male, and he, it made him very nervous and and anxious and angry. So finally, after a couple of rehearsals and I would pursue him and it's just kind of improv and you know what they are. So uh, at one point he said, I can't work like this. What are you doing? I can't work like this. Wow. I said, well, I am. I don't know. I'm supposed to be uh, all over you and on top of you. And he said, 
that's the end of that. And he stormed out, and that was the last I ever saw of him. Wow. <laughs> mm. Well, I'm glad it wasn't the last we saw of you. And the first time I ever saw you was in Baltimore during the tryout of Canterbury Tales. Oh, my um, Lord. Yeah. So uh, and you really did make an impression there, even though uh, needless to say, we're in uh, a few small parts. But uh, every time you came on stage, it, it did make an impression. So uh, was like, my was my wigs crooked or that was what I was wearing a fall. <laughs> uh-huh. You look fine to me. <laughs> Good. Ironically enough, uh, that winter I was asked to write a new version of A a Midsummer Night's Dream uh, that was contemporary. So there I was with Lysander, and um, and I renamed Lysander Sandy Duncan. You did? I did. I did. And ironically enough, the boy who played it um, wound up, well, not wound up, but he was the brother of somebody who's done quite well, and that's Susan Hilferty, who um, has become the costume designer um, extraordinaire. So uh, so anytime we see each other, he says, you know, there, there was a Sandy Duncan, you know? I, I said, yeah, I know that. Um, this just seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> so, so anyway, you were appropriated there. I'm going to ask a reasonably controversial you know, question. No, you, you should have you said, no, no. Sandy Dennis. <laughs> Sandy Dennis. <laughs> I was more impressed with Sandy Duncan. What can I tell you? Listen, um, one of the most um, famous things that was said during uh, the 1970 um, season was the fact that there you were in The Boyfriend, and of course you ostensibly were not the star. And yet um, you seemed to steal every scene you were in. And um, I, I, I feel bad about asking this, but... Did Junie Karn show any resentment to the fact that you essentially wound up the star of that show? She did not ever uh, express any of that feeling to me directly. Apparently, yes, she was very unhappy and and not having a good time and would like to have gotten out of it. But she was nothing but gracious to me. That's good to hear. Yeah, it was. Because it could have been truly awkward. Now, in that show... My hair <laughs> did not fall out, but a lot of it fell off. So I had to get this, you know, and it turned out they were reviewing my hair because the guy who colored it over on in that area with a lot of sushi bars uh, did it sort of this, <laughs> this pink color. I don't know, but it looked great on stage when it was lit. I mean, it just because they were going to put me in a brown like real dowdy wig. And I said, no, the hair's got to move and bounce around. Wine, wine, wine. So I went one day after rehearsal and I thought I'd be in big trouble, but it ended up being a plus actually, Hmm. you know, of course, who was in that with me and shared those, those, um, those moments on the stage was Harvey Evans. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm. You do seem to have had more than your share of mishaps um, (laughs) over the years. There was your injury that prevented you from going into Chicago when you were supposed to, and then you were delayed. Uh, And I'm so happy that you eventually went in because you were just great in that show. Thank you. And I love doing it. I just love doing that show. I'm accident prone. (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> <Did you hear> <laughs> yes, I did hear that. 
the the wonderful thing about you in Chicago is the fact that everybody thinks of you as sweetness and light, and uh, they were playing a murderess, and uh, you certainly carried it off extraordinarily well. We were all very convinced yes. that you could yes. really do somebody in. Um, yeah. But you know, Peter Pan, after all, the, the boyfriend, uh, those are those are nice roles, and of course, on your TV series, you were a nice person too. So uh, to see that other side of you, that you could mm. certainly make the adjustment and play that type of character was quite something. And re- you really surprised a lot of people on Broadway that year. Yes. I'm doing a reading. For, thank you. Because uh, it's closer to the truth. I'm doing a reading <laughs> uh, on, for the Actors Fund. Like people are doing all these readings. I'd sort of resisted it because I'm not sure it works. But I decided here we are in the eighth, ninth month to hell with it. I'm going to do one as an activity. And besides, it's a good cause. It's for the Actors Fund. And it's on YouTube. And it's playing a really wild character uh, that you wouldn't think I'd do or be. But I am. It's called Laughing Wild, the Christopher Durang play. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I feel very close to that character. <laughs> <laughs> they have it. It's, I know it's in November. They just asked. They'd asked me to do several things, and they were lovely plays. But you, you kind of felt like you had seen that water going under the bridge a few times. So I thought I'd look around for something that was different, you know, and unusual to see whether anybody likes it or not. It's at least new information for their portfolios of acting. One of my favorite things of all time, and this is why I named you the most valuable player of the season was the fact that I took my little boy to see Peter Pan in February. You had opened in August. And here it was February. It was a Wednesday afternoon. You had another performance to do that night. (laughs) And it was an opening night performance. It was as if everything depended on it, that all the critics were there, uh, that the run of the show would be dependent on this one performance. And you gave your all. And I'll never forget at the end, when you looked into the orchestra, looking at those first few rows of kids and saying, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming and making them feel so important. Um, An amazing, amazing experience. And I've never forgotten it. I love doing that show. And you got so much from those audiences and those children in particular. I mean, you could hear a pin drop because I was nervous about doing a show like that on Broadway and doing it the way we were doing it without so much cartoon quality at all. And it was, I don't think I can top that experience, quite frankly. I think that would be hard to do. I've recently found that there, uh, too too much to my happiness, that there's more, there are more clips of you and Peter Pan than I realized. There's one wonderful clip of you being introduced by Mary Martin. Uh, I'm not sure what show that was. You, I'm sure you, you can tell us. Uh, uh, she introduces you singing Neverland. And then there's a clip of Uggawug from the Macy's Parade introduced right. by Ed McMahon. Uh, And then there's uh, I'm Flying, uh, which is uh, great because it's the whole number and it's on the set of the actual show. Uh, So I was really happy to see all of those. And and I've sent the the links to James to include in the show notes. But uh, the the Mary Martin thing, do you you recall that? Absolutely. Because Mm. she hadn't seen the show and it was going into like, the end of the first year, I think, and somebody came back and said, Mary Martin's here tonight. I was, oh, really? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. she hadn't wanted to see it because it was so dear to her heart. She didn't do it all that long. Exactly. But she had, mm-hmm. she had the same experience that I had, that it was one of the most uh, 
thrilling shows to do because of how it touched her heart. And she came back after and she was crying and she said, I'm going to cry now. Oh no. <laughs> um, she said, you're my Peter Pan. And I said, well, you're my Peter Pan. Mm. Oh. And it was really, uh, now Don's going to get mad. I cry all the time. Uh, <laughs> I do. What Don? <laughs> you said, did you take your pills? <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're right, though. She didn't do it all that long. And there's no question that although there have been six productions of Peter Pan, uh, your production outran all the other five put together. Is that true? I did it. it I, I'm very, I did the show one thing thousand times apparently, wow. and i never missed a single performance not mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. and the young woman uh marcia kramer who passed away this past summer uh never missed a performance either and she was there for all of them so on and we and i'd say the majority of that cast uh soon after the show ended lost their lives to aids Mm, and there were all these yeah. gorgeous young men, you know, mm, mm. and it was heartbreaking. It really sure, was. Sure. And so. Sandy, uh, have you, um, uh, when you are getting ready to accept uh, a job, are, are you asking them who, who you're playing opposite of? And does that ever play into uh, your decisions? No. Mm -hmm. Because, it, that... uh, because uh, I saw that you did uh, something with Kermit. And, uh, and, and, you know, that's what I was getting at was that, you know, you, you know, if they, if somebody said, you know, uh, we're going to play opposite Kermit, you're like, sign me up. I don't care what the property is. That's right. You just say, yeah, I'm there. It's one of the best experiences, uh, with an actor I've had. <laughs> he's so, he's so real. Uh, he's present. He listens. He gets the humor of what's going on. He shuts up and right. <laughs> 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 he's not in your face. He goes and he has to lie down. No, um, I love doing the whole Muppet Show because everybody on it is just what you'd expect. Have you met any of those people in your mm -hmm. world? Yeah, sure. Well, then you yeah. know they're they're delightful people and and they're so creative and they don't stop. I mean, it's a generation after generation. Like our grandson is a year and a half and he's already having us read the Bert and Ernie books. Uh -huh. He made my uh, son who's 36 go as I want to town now the Count Dracula. <laughs> so they're still connected to those characters and those voices. It's great. He went as Cookie Monster. No, he didn't go as Ernie, did he, Don? He went as Cookie Monster. Uh-huh. Cookie Monster. So it, it, yeah. You did uh, Try to Remember with uh, yeah. with Kermit on The Muppet Show. Do you remember how that came about? Was it a, a did they suggest it to you? Did you suggest it to them? Did How did that all yeah. happen? It, it just, they just said, we're going to bring the cast out to sing with you at the very end. Would you sing? And I said, absolutely. Sure. The one that was funny was the banana sketch. <laughs> because the fellow that did it always played this sort of slight, lightly drunk fellow and uh, in life he had been on a, a special identity in London called the Sandy Duncan show and he kept coming up and going I have a 
banana sketch for you. And I'd go, oh, okay, chat. That'll be great. And it was a going drag with this. So when I went over there to do the uh, the Muppet show, he, he was there and he said, hi, it's me, Jack, Jack and I have a, a banana, banana sketch for you. Then he proceeded to write that wonderful banana sketch between Kermit and Fozzie and me, which was, I think, one of the more uh, brilliant little pieces of writing ever. I just recently became aware of that Try to Remember clip, and it's so adorable. You sing to Kermit. He, unfortunately, doesn't sing at all, that, uh, although a bunch of the other Muppets come in and sing background. But this is hilarious. When the original production of Fantastics was closing off Broadway, right near the end, they got a guy to be El Gallo, who was this beautiful guy, um, but he had a very odd voice. And I remember the woman who played uh, Louisa opposite him said, that he sang, he sang it like Kermit because it was like, <laughs> I remember. It's <laughs> <laughs> good, Kermit, Michael. <laughs> Have you noticed a lot of a lot of those guys sing like Kermit? They <laughs> 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 do all those parts. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in the film world. Uh, in about 1971, you did a film called The Million Dollar Duck. Okay, moving along. With Here we go. <laughs> Dean Jones, which yes. just happened to be right after the 1970 production of Company. Did that ever come up in conversation with you and Dean? You know, in between takes, you're like, hey, you did Broadway, I do Broadway, you know. Uh... No. No, he was very focused, and uh, he had a girlfriend at the time that was his his point of pure uh, obsession and uh, attention. So he was sweet as he could be. And we'd show up by the set and do our work together. There's this woman that used to come, Nancy Davis, she had this voice to talk right here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love Dean Jones. I just love Dean Jones. Don't you love <laughs> Dean Jones? And I go, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. You're not going to say no to that woman. <laughs> she was a big fan of his. And then I worked with um, Ken Berry. We did a, a Disney uh... film together and he was a sweetheart as well. I've had, I don't think, you know, people ask you, who do you remember that's, you know, you've worked with that. I, I've tried to think, and I do not recall any actor that I have ever worked with in my life that, that I didn't get along with and that I didn't appreciate. Don, do you know of anybody that I ever, <laughs> I've never complained about? No, he says no. Yeah. You? Yeah, me. I complained about you. Um, right, when you, did, when you did my one and only. Oh, God, yeah. My one and only, my nightclub act and uh, my concert. Even. If, if I do a show, no longer with Jack Lee because he's gone, but I would really appreciate Don and Jack Lee being there. They're, Besides being good at what they do, they're an amazing support system, you know, for what you're doing. It, it look at somebody and they seem confident and know what they're doing. It it, it inspires you and and buoys you up so that you can come rise to their level, like counts the right way, things like that. You made a passing reference to Tommy Toon earlier, uh, so you knew him when you were a kid. I did. I knew him when I was twelve years old. Younger, uh -huh. right? yeah, well, twelve. And, and um, he was still tall, uh, already <laughs> tall or what? <laughs> no, he was short. He was real short. <laughs> I think my leg is being pulled. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was always extremely tall uh -huh. and uh, used that to, to full effect his whole life, of course. 
and he was talented and gifted. He, he would come and teach an acting class to this junior high school group that I was in, that the dance teacher put together that I spoke of. And he, you just knew he was smart then. Like we'd have an assignment, for instance, and we were young kids. What do we know? Tell me about what you think about. No, he'd say, come in, bring what you need and tell us and show us how to make a salad. So it would be something, you know, that you had uh, experience with and you could talk for real. That's smart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure is. So, Sandy, you've been able to uh, effectively go back and forth from theater to film to television. And, and it's, I mean, you're constantly on stage and constantly in, on film and television. Uh, were you... Uh, based in New York or did, were you based in Los Angeles or how did you manage this, uh, this ability to cross the platforms? I thought you said this disability. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> disability. Disability. Sounded, this, sounded like <laughs> Bright says there are no accidents, right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I don't know when work would, and I had kids then with Don, we've been married 40 years and mm-hmm. we have, two grown kids and we would have to pick them up with us and go to wherever. Like I took the kids on a tour uh, of my one and only and took them to Japan and I had little dressing rooms made up like playrooms for them. When Don was doing singing in the rain, we were away for what, Don, eight months, nine months. months. And he'd fly whenever he could to see us there. But we tried to accommodate the business to complement our lives as opposed to the other way around. Mm. And so we lived in LA for a while. Then we were back in New York and we were back in LA and we've back. How long here, Don? No. Yeah. We've lived here. Uh, 20 years. 20 years. We've been back this time and we've, uh, we've gutted and renovated 11 homes together <laughs> and we're still married. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you, you did a terrific show at Radio City back in the day that I saw. That's I that was that was hard. I was pregnant too. Wow. Oh gosh, yeah. And I had another one in the in the uh, the dressing room, and of course you know that March Champion was in that, and has mm-hmm. just passed away this last week. She had a good run though, I tell you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and smart and funny and a little bit mean. <laughs> Which all no, that works for you. You live longer if you're just a little bit me. Ain't it the truth? <laughs> Ain't it the truth? <laughs> okay, so we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and security online, right? But I didn't know this until recently. It's taken my TV watching game to the next level. You can use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Last week, I used ExpressVPN to binge Doctor Who on UK Netflix. It was so simple. I just fired up the ExpressVPN app, changed my location to the UK, refreshed Netflix, and that's it. See, ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think that you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries, so just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. Love anime? Use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away. But it's just not Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service. Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. 
There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is that it's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream HD with no problem. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all of your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on the go or on the big screen wherever you are. If you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support our show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Broadway Radio. And thanks to ExpressVPN for continuing to support Broadway Radio. That's what I wanted to be was a writer. Really? Yeah, I did. Because still time. It, still time. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe if I sit down and be quiet enough. But I, I just always thought it was the ideal job because you can be quiet sit with yourself not have to depend on other people except to buy it you know but i just thought that would be the best best life and i tried to to make myself do it for a while and everything just got put under the bed i don't even know if any of it's any good all right but what about a memoir have you thought of that no no (laughs) no that's it no chance no I'm asked that because I have had, you know, sort of a colorful, interesting life. Sure. But, yeah, 24 years, brain tumor. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So there have been a number of things in my life that have been up and down and up and down and up and down. And the people that I've worked with and met, you know, I made a list one night with Don of all the people that I have worked with. And it astounded me because when you're working in television back in the 60s, 70s, Everyone had their own variety show. So whoever was on their variety show, you were invited to be a guest and sing and dance with them. It was sort of before MTV. And I worked with, I was on a TV special once with, let me think here, Pearl Bailey, Mm. uh, Bing Crosby, and um, Bob Hope. Just the four of us. That was an amazing experience. Wow, sure. And then, you know. Danny Kay. I I just, the list was incredible. And I have little stories about them. I think if I could write something that was anecdotal, then I might be able to sit down or even if I wrote down the anecdotes and then thread them together somehow, it might be interesting or not. Well, my girlfriend's a literary agent, so. uh... (laughs) I know. (laughs) I'll send you something. She'll go, what is this? Pukey thinks she is What did you tell her to do? <laughs> she sold Charles Strauss's memoir. She sold Phyllis Diller's memoir. She can sell uh-huh. yours. So the third jewel of the triple crown. <laughs> wow. Sandy, uh, you beat I'm... out a number of people for the role in the Star Spangled Girl uh, so in the film. So t- talk about how, that, how you got that job for Star Spangled Girl uh, and... What it was like uh, to film was was Neil Simon involved in the filming of it, uh, and what was your remembrances of it? Um, hmm. I got it. <clears throat> pardon me, because let's see, I was going to do a TV series called Funny Girl, Funny Face. Oh right, <clears throat> yeah, and Fred Silverman was 
behind that and putting it together. And he, he got a call or he called, I honestly don't know how it happened, but then I got a call before I started Funny Girl Would I Please film Star Spangled Girl. And that's all I know about it. My, do you know a dirty story? <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, you know, obviously we're re- re- just seeing this uh, information in retrospect, but they were saying that they had brought in Brit, Brit Eklund, Ellie McGraw, Sybil Shepard, Goldie Hawn, and uh, and you beat them out for it. So, really? uh, yeah, I didn't know that. It's in the book now, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did uh, was Neil Simon involved in the uh, shooting of that? No, he was around when Don did Little Me, so he got to meet him and, and uh, work with him. But I, I never met him. No. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if those stories are true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you know you've continued to uh, work uh, in theater uh, all throughout while doing you know various television and film things. Was it, uh, was it, it, it just, um, your, your childhood bringing you back to these, uh, stage productions or, or was it, uh, you know, the, the other things that are like, I have to do this, this, uh, this piece of work. Uh, I think it was, it's what I trained to do. It's what I love to mm-hmm. do. It's what I knew is where I feel comfortable. The, the only thing is I feel comfortable and and that it's the right way to do it when people behave i sound like somebody in vaudeville now but when you come in you meet the cast you rehearse you go over and over and over it you change things you there's a process that i think is part of the theater experience and getting a show to be what it really should be and it takes a lot of attention and detail whereas now a, there really are no star stars. I mean, there are a couple of familiar names, but they're not national stars. One reason being they're not on TV a lot to mm. you know acquaint the public. But also, the title is the star now. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really seem to matter who's mm-hmm. in it. Just plug mm-hmm. someone in that can accomplish the role and may not have that little bit of magic or, or even the discipline to do a stage, they bring people in and in four and five days, throw them in kind of like an encore's production. Mm-hmm. Everybody learns all this material and they just get thrown out on stage and do it. And it's never going to be anything but a cheat for the actors to work that way and a cheat for the audience as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Speaking We're of Encore's just- productions, I'm so glad that that No No Nanette worked out for you because that was so mm-hmm. great. What a Wasn't wonderful that, cast. That was fun. It was a great cast. And they were going to do it as a Broadway, you know, production, re- recast some of the roles, you know, do everything new in terms of sets. Blah, 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 blah. But uh, the gentleman who was going to do it, I'd been in South Pacific with him and he, I met him for lunch. And he said, we're doing this show on Broadway and we want you to do this. I said, sure, (laughs) I'd love to do this. And he had a heart attack the next week. A young guy, Mm. young guy. And he had this big plan. He was so excited about it because I think of a lot of the shows that they have mounted there, I think that one might definitely have have found an audience. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you went into Chicago, uh, by time you went into Chicago, it was uh, 
it was such a huge Broadway hit, uh, you know, uh, what was it like to join a, jo- join a show like that that is already well-established and uh, you get to have a lot of fun in it? Um, it was <coughs> daunting. <coughs> the number of people that had done it. Uh, well, they weren't the, the role I did at that point, three people had done it. Annie, uh, Karen Z, and um, who else? Jean- no, BB did Velma. But anyway, I was lucky because uh, Walter Bobby and the the you know the uh, what do you call it the um, the people who were head of the creative director. I forget who was Annie came in and re choreographed some things and worked with me. I was starting like it was a brand new show because mm-hmm. they afforded me that luxury, and they brought my dearest friend now uh, Ruthie Henschel over to play the role I was going to be playing, Roxy. So that had a little tension about it too, that I'm going to be standing next to a woman who has done it for almost a year in London. Uh, but because they handled it so well and we rehearsed it like we were two new characters coming into a show, I never felt anything but but warmth and, and receptive uh, response from the cast. Oh, that's great. I had the uh, best friend. I was supposed to continue doing it with Bibi. She was coming back into the show to finish out. I'd finished my run, but they wanted me to stay another at least six months. And I had agreed to do it, but there were contractual uh, problems. So I just, I couldn't stay. And I broke my heart because I was having the best, best time. You don't have to answer this, but some people have said that when uh, this, that production originally started at Encores, that it, Anne Reinking was not originally going to be playing Roxy and then it was going to be someone else who then wound up not being able to do it. And you have been mentioned as one of the people who supposedly that was asked. Yes. Uh, So you can tell us if that's true or not. That is true. Ah, yeah. Hmm. And uh, I can't remember exactly what was going on in my life at that point. They ended up, asking i think it was um liza they asked her as well yes i heard heard that as well yeah and so i don't know why she elected not to do it except the dancing's a little bit beyond her pay grade i mean she moves like crazy but she doesn't do that kind of dancing necessarily i didn't want to do it because i was probably having a snit i don't know <laughs> really really they couldn't ask me first no, <laughs> so you have been uh during the past uh since march or so since broadway has been shut down and new yorkers have been isolating themselves what have you been doing with your time why do you laugh every time somebody asks me a serious question, Don? He's he's working a crossword puzzle, and most people have to concentrate when they're doing that. Is it the Sunday puzzle or the Saturday puzzle? Because it's there's a, a tutor- jigsaw puzzle. Oh, it's a jigsaw. Oh. <laughs> that's what I've been doing with my time. That's what. No, it's one of those things that has three thousand black. You know, uh, and then 20 yellow. And I mean, I don't even know what he's doing. And when you finish, the picture is pretty damn ugly. But anyway. does, the, does the puzzle say two to four years? <laughs> <laughs> Eight to ten. Um, it's 65 and over, so I knew I was okay. I don't understand that joke, guy. No, 
puzzles for five and then you just said 65 because you had the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what were you asking me? He, he takes my attention. Um, <laughs> what have you been oh, doing what during the... Doing? What are yeah. you listening to him? No, I have been... <laughs> I garden a lot. I'm a really good gardener. And uh, we have just finished... Um, we live along the water on the, uh, in Fairfield. And we ha- were given the, the orders to raise our home 10 feet into the air or mm. we would lose insurance. Oh. And mm-hmm. So we, we either had to move or do it. And we ha- like it here. So we raised our house. That took a year and a half. Wow. And, and redid. And, re- and now we're at the point where we're just rounding the corner. We're going to do the floors, pickle them white, and we're going to um, paint. And that's it, right, Don? And put in a... That's it. Yeah. Then we're done. And uh, we love it here. And the garden is glorious until it just froze yesterday. Mm, and yeah. what else do I do? And I read and I watch TV. I watch mostly the election information so I can mm-hmm. be stressed and mm-hmm. anxious. Yeah. <laughs> all of us. Yeah. Don't we all. Oh, yeah. Man. We only have a few days left of stress. Mm. Oh, well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I'm assuming you're Trump people, right? That's correct. <laughs> of course we are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. That's the worst thing you've ever said to anybody. I know. <laughs> I know. We're, we're trying to make Broadway great again. So. <laughs> right. We have to get open first. Now they're saying when, guys, they're saying the end of, uh, end of, end May, of May, May 2021. Right, uh, right. Officially, right now, we'll have to see what happens there. I think uh, if uh, the public theater can flex its muscles and get uh, Shakespeare in the Park going next summer, mm-hmm. that would be mm-hmm. that would be great. Oh, that yeah. would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you think is going to be the resurgence in the? I mean, do you think it's going to happen? Uh, I'm very. Um, fearful um obviously a lot of people have lost their jobs or out of work had trouble paying the mortgage or the maintenance and uh, some money for broadway shows um it was always expensive and now it would seem even more daunting yeah i was i was doing a, a play in uh chicago and when this, all this happened and literally we we did a show friday night i think it was and somebody came back to the green room and said, don't come tomorrow. Hmm. And this is before anybody really had any awareness of exactly what this was. And we were going, what? Hmm. what? And we had been doing this show where you go into the audience and shake hands. And uh, say this. People were hugging me. Yeah, and yeah. we were so scared for a while, like for a good two weeks at least. Sure. Um, and, and other people were scared and actually got the virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 terrifying and 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 i don't know what's to be done no. i mean we don't get enough information that's accurate that mm-hmm. we know what to do i'm happy to do it mm-hmm. but just tell me right. <clears throat> and they can't it's not their fault well it's, if only there were some sort of national leader well, that could lead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would just make up some rules. Rules help people get through things. You know, if he just said, if you don't wear a mask, it's like seat belts. You'll get a fine. You know, mm-hmm. this whole thing that mm-hmm. Trumpsters have about it's infringing on your uh, freedom as an American. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of that in our country. A lot of things you can't do. Can't smoke inside anymore. All kinds of 
rules. What the right, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I saw a really funny thing on Facebook uh, a few weeks ago. I said if they had just uh, given a handful of stage managers one trillion dollars, we'd have this thing under under control in two weeks. Because <laughs> <laughs> they so, know what to do. <laughs> you've worked with some great stage managers, haven't you? Oh yes, they're my favorite people. They keep you. They they keep a show going backstage. Barbara May Phillips, my stage manager on Peter Pan, was one of the funnier people around, and she kept an energy level that supported what was going on on stage. I mean, before I'd fly in, she'd be in the dark with a pig, with a pig, not a real pig, like a pig hat going. <laughs> I mean, anything that she would do, you know, just to send you out there with some joy. Uh, she would do uh, the play I was doing in Chicago. The show before we ended, two shows before we ended, the cast member behind me as we were running off, my glasses fell off my shirt and he stepped on them. Mm. So I'm out in Chicago, can't see a damn thing. <laughs> and he fixed them. I mean, they stage wow. managers do everything. Well, that's true. Don't mm. they? They just do it all. I tell you, what would we do without, uh, and this was uh, 2020, uh, was supposed to be the year of the stage manager, the stage manager, uh, there was a stage manager's uh, trade group that had promoted it as the year of the stage manager, and then mm. all of this happened at once, so I think that they've mm. extended to 2021, and yeah, hopefully when so. Broadway reopens, uh, and we get back to some semblance of normalcy, um, we can celebrate the great things that stage managers do. And how do they, what were they going to do? Like how they, they were, work? they were having, uh, you know, events just to, uh, you know, so Wins. many people who have never done a play don't understand how important a stage manager is. So I think mm -hmm. it was really a lot of informational and, and awareness, as Peter just said, of uh, what the, what the stage managers do. And a lot of people don't realize that, uh, actors' equity is for actors and stage managers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. most of them were actors at one point. The good ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At yeah. some point or so other, they, they know. They yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good ones do. I've only had mm, one not so good one in in my life, and it makes an enormous amount of difference to mm -hmm. to your comfort level. And and they're communicating. What's gone on? If you're replacing somebody, what's gone on before and how to thread you into it and make mm -hmm. you feel. And when they can't, you're lost. Yeah. Didn't Hal Prince start as a stage manager? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah the, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot he, of good directors do. The one, you know, you've got a stage manager that ain't so good when he goes, uh, your foot is out of the light pool. What? <laughs> Move the light. I mean, you know, they. <laughs> They just don't get it, and that's I've only had one, so that's a lucky track record. <laughs> Who are your, some of your favorite directors that you've worked with? Peter, um, Peter, well, he didn't direct it, honey, he wrote it, but Mike Nichols, certainly. Mike Nichols, Don and I were going into my one and only, and we went down to rehearse with Peter Stone and Mike Nichols, and uh they were getting things set up their little director's table and stuff. And we're sort of tapping around and then they went, okay, let's, let's just, just, okay, let's start at the beginning. And they sat there, both of them and ate Reuben sandwiches. <laughs> and that's what they did. And at one point, Michael would say, uh, he'd say, um, you know, when you do that, do such and such and such. 
bite of Reuben's sandwich. And by the end of the uh, rehearsal, I had more information than I possibly could have gotten from somebody standing up there because because it's a trick because he distracted himself and looked like it wasn't so important that you were a nervous wreck. He made it casual. He let you do what you're doing and work through things. And if he had a suggestion, he'd throw it in, but he didn't micromanage it. And Thank you. That, huh? Thank you for explaining that because people have said uh, similar things about him, but I don't think they explained it as well as you did. Well, they're not uh, writers. You know, they're just simply not writers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is the truth. It takes the, it takes the onus off your hitting your marks and, and, and oh, Mike Nichols is watching me. Oh my God, Mike. So you go about your business and you're just sort of rehearsing and he's got full eyes on you without letting you know. And he's taken every note he needs to take and he doesn't give extraneous notes. He just, when he sees something he thinks is not right or he wants it, then he says it and he goes back to his sandwich. Tommy <laughs> Toon does that, uh, actually. Tommy doesn't do it. Uh, he does it socially. Like if you are going to his house for dinner or something, or he's going to, he will have an activity, be it making guacamole yeah. or whatever, an activity to take the strain and stress off a social situation <laughs> for him. It's a good trick, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Famous Tony Award in the bathroom. Yeah. So, <laughs> it again. T- uh, Tommy's t- oh. t- Tommy keeps one of his Tony Awards in the bathroom. You know. I'm not people's floors. I go over and just mop the floor. <laughs> Here, let me do <laughs> Have you ever thought about crossing the lights and uh, producing, directing, doing other stuff? I have for a moment or two, but I I have. A directing, maybe. Mm-hmm. But then I went down and gave a seminar in, the, I can't remember, somewhere in Florida. It was a Palm Beach. And there was this classroom of seniors that came in. And I, you know, if you do someone else's talent and gift, you suddenly get it. Oh, that's really hard. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know yeah. what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I, I thought, you're not equipped to do this. You know, I, I'd be one of those kind of directors or teachers that thought my job was done if I got the person to cry. <laughs> you know those ones? Jack Lee. Yeah, well, <laughs> he follows through with some information, but how people will just go, well, my job is done here. I brought them to tears, as if that's all there is to acting. Uh, I wouldn't be good. Well, you follow the greats. You buy a Reuben sandwich and go and sit down <laughs> and start eating. You know? He also, which was interesting, he gives a result term um, notes. Like when Don and I first came into, no, let's see, Don and I had been fine. He liked what we did. He liked the relationship and the Don's strength and my, we just hit a, a level of, of performing in that show that he really appreciated. Then he came back to see me with Tommy because Tommy and I were going to do this international tour. And he came backstage and he said, what did he say to me? Uh, young, let's see, younger, more naive. Uh-huh. And, and I was like, younger, more naive, younger, more naive. <laughs> I didn't tell you, it's embarrassing. But I thought, well, what the hell is he talking about? He said, you have got to go much lighter. Uh, Tommy doesn't have that sort of coiled strength that you're used to working with your husband that bounce off. He said, but what he has going on his side of the stage is oddly enough, enough to support it. And you have to trust that. And you can back off and be much, much softer and much younger. 
and it worked. And he came back the next night and he said, better than ever. Hmm. I said, thanks. Thanks. He didn't like thanks to figure you with deep, you know, complicated. Uh, so I see why his genius was out there and much appreciated. It was smart. If you uh, had to, uh, if you think back in your career, is there any one memory that uh, just seems uh, like ever present to you that uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, a Tony nomination or something like that? Something that just really meant a lot to you in your career so far. Uh, two two quick things. One. Uh when I was the five-year-old and I went out on stage and I had on my little dance costume that my mother had made and all the other girls. And it was half lime green and half puce. It was kind of this Harlequin look, very attractive. And we had tap shoes that matched and little bows in our hair. And the music started and the head, the lead of our number was Nanake Rankin. Nike was six years old while the rest of us were five. She had long blonde hair and she was out front and she was doing the singing too. And we would just go, that's right, Nike, that's right. <laughs> and tap our feet. Well, I got into my head that I needed to be down front with Nike. <laughs> and I tapped my way forward. Wow. And I, I was like, I really like this and I started dancing and I started making up my own steps and by the end of the number I was just dancing all over the place doing completely inappropriate steps that I couldn't do but kids were crying girls were wandering off stage and I thought I could do this <laughs> and the number that we were doing was a, a song popular at that time for little five-year-olds the song was called enjoy yourself uh -huh. It's later than you think. You think right? <laughs> That's another song, right? That meant a lot to me, memory-wise, because I found in that moment what I wanted to do at five years old. I was sure of it. I just knew it. And I loved the audience, and I was waving to them and saying hi. And mm -hmm. I, I just found my home. And the other one, the other what was the – oh, this is inconsequential, but um, it was when I was doing Roots, and I had – and I was with heavy, heavy actors, and I had a long, long monologue to do. It was like two pages, which for, you know, film and television is long. Sure. You know, you could do one. So I learned it, and I, the day I had to go up, I had this enormous zit on mm. my chin. Oh. Huge. And mm. so I said to the director, I said, I don't know what we're going to do, because he said, well, we can't get – Cross in angles and over the shoulders, and he was like, "Beside, he said, you're going to have to uh, sit face Leslie, and I don't know what we're going to do. Is it's a through shot? It's a one shot? I don't." And he was like, "Oh God, oh God!" So I sat down and I did the entire monologue without a single mistake, and he went, "Cut, print, that's it." So mm -hmm. that's a big memory for me because I couldn't do that with a gun held to my head now. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was wow. That was a wow. And finally, the last question I'm going to ask you is, uh, what, what advice would you give to an artist that's thinking of getting into the business? Wait till COVID's over. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. Um, I would say 
because loving is not enough because I know a lot of people that love it. And it's just not good for them. It's not the thing to do. I guess I wouldn't give advice at all. Because uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I would because mm-hmm. you can't, because I look at people sometimes, Don and I will be watching television or whatever. And we'll go, did you think that he thought he would ever work? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know? or somebody that has some, you know, you don't know who's going to make it. It's so true. That's yeah. true. So true. Well, Sandy, I want to thank you so much for spending so much time with us on Broadway Radio. Really appreciate your taking out. You the time deserve to do a that. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the three of you deserve it. <laughs> Well, Sandy, thank you so much, and uh, come back to Broadway Radio and talk to us again in the future, okay? Well, after another thousand people. Sure. <laughs> well, we'll have to have that Don in there somewhere. You know, if yeah, Don can... I'll just sit on the side and, and do... Who are those old men and the Muppets who sit up there at the Oh, uh, yeah, the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the two old men in the balcony. <laughs> I'm going to do that when he uh, interviews. <laughs> Get off to say, thank you, guys. Statler and Waldorf, of course, Rob Johnson. Yes, those are the Muppets, the two old men in the balcony that complain about everything. So if uh, Peter and Michael, would you rather be Statler or Waldorf? You know, should we start referring to you as them? <laughs> Waldorf, because I relate to the Waldorf Astoria. Ah, I see. Uh, who's, the, uh, who's the little girl that lives in the Waldorf? No, she. No, no, no. It's Eloise no, in the plaza. Ella in the plaza. That's right. I'm Eloise. You guys can be Waldorf and Statler. <laughs> so it was great talking to Sandy. We're mm. really, really wonderful. Mm. Really appreciate her coming on to Broadway Radio. It's wonderful. So uh, I think that wraps it up for this week. Before we get on to trivia, I would like to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of 
This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. That's the podcast button on Sandy's phone that mm. she was asking about. We can also be listened to on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find a podcast, you can find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we talked about today, including all those videos that Michael mentioned about uh, Sandy and Peter Pan. Mm. So, Peter, do you have an answer for last week's trivia we've all been told that the best musical theater songs move the action forward but a tony winning musical had a comedy song in its second act that didn't after one more song was sung that comedy song was reprised but it still didn't move the action forward however when this musical was made into a film the lyrics to the songs were rewritten now it included two characters who were in the show on broadway yes but they weren't in the number on broadway and now the song did move the action forward so what's the song, the show, the two characters, and how did it move the action forward? Uh, the song was from the Tony-winning Bye Bye Birdie, Kids, in which the harried Mr. McAfee mm. laments about teenagers. Albert and his mother, May, weren't in the number on Broadway, but in the 1963 film, they are. At the start, he's planning to marry Rosie, but by the end, he's reneged and says that he won't, thus moving the action forward as Rosie goes forward herself to find another man. Tony Janicki once again was the first to get it, followed by Jay Aubrey Jones, Brigadude, Richard Carey, Jack Leshner, Josh Israel, and Robert Lobiondo. This week's question. She was cast as one of the leads in what would become a Rodgers and Hammerstein hit. He landed a small role in the same production. They each had the same last name, a name that has three syllables in it. <laughs> But he would change it, not because he necessarily wanted to, but because he thought that she, in the more important role, should be the one to have it. So he cut the final two syllables of his last name and retained only the first one, although he decided to spell that first syllable differently. <laughs> Who was she, he, and the show? <laughs> All right. You like the convoluted ones. What can I tell yes, you? Yes, <laughs> totally convoluted. <laughs> All right. So uh, if you have an idea of what Peter's asking, email us at <laughs> trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Look at me and see how easily it's done.